title of the sermon this week is The Heavenly Realm. The Heavenly Realm. We've been talking about the heavenly realms, but this week it is The Heavenly Realm. The as in, um, it's hard for me to say this. Again, I don't think we should should say vulgarities on camera. I don't even know if this is an FCC violation. And I apologize to any of you who are fans of this particular university, but the heavenly realm is like the Ohio State University. And so uh, in in order to kind of cancel out that statement, I had to get up in all of my Michigan uh, attire because, yes, I did say the Ohio State University, but uh, this this uh, this sermon is the heavenly realm. And uh, as I've been getting ready, as I was sermon prepping this week, I honestly wasn't sure where I was going to go. Um, we were working our way through Ephesians, and we handled the first part of Ephesians chapter 1, and I wasn't sure, was I going to jump into Ephesians 2, or was I going to finish the backside of Ephesians 1? And I got a text message from a woman named uh, Leanna Magelli. If you know Leanna Magelli, you will co-sign. What I'm about to say, that woman is a pastor. Holy cow. Uh, she doesn't need a church to give her that title. That is just who God has created her to be. She is so smart. She is so intelligent. She can take some of the most profound, ungraspable concepts and break it down to the most finite, bite-sized, chewable piece uh, in just the right time and just the right way. And she can listen to you for a half an hour to speak for three minutes. And what she says in that three minutes is so so penetrating because um, you got a chance to speak with her for a half an hour. And so she is a pastor through and through. If you don't know Leanna Magelli, you need to get to know Leanna Magelli. This woman is awesome. And I was talking with her. And there are people I love talking. I'll, I'll talk about the Bible with anybody, but I, I love talking about the Bible with her, and she texts me Monday. She says, you're never going to bl- guess what the what the verse of the day was, or what the verse of the day is. And I'm like, what is it? She says, it's Ephesians 1.17. And what we started doing was a deep dive into uh, the second half of Ephesians 1. And I'm like, well, I guess I know what I am going to be talking about this week. Because, like I said, last week we talked about the heavenly realms, but this week it's the heavenly realm. And that phrase, heavenly realms, realms, S, there's an, there's an S on it. Why do we put the S on the end of anything? It's to make it plural, to indicate that there are more than one. And I told you last week that the heavenly realms are places where angelic or demonic activity occur. A better way of saying it probably would have been the heavenly realms are places where, are places where angelic or demonic, or sorry, and or demonic activity Occur. That's what the heavenly realms are, places where angelic and or demonic activity occur, not just and demonic activity occurs. Because there is a place where all of the warfare, there is a place where this battle between good and evil, there is a place where all of this comes to an end. Uh, there is more than one heavenly realm. And believe it or not, if you had a, an elementary education, you actually learned about two of them. What I'm about to talk to you about, it's not this profound concept. You actually know about two of them. Um, as children uh, growing up in elementary school, did anybody else do this when you were a kid? Maybe you do it now. I don't know. But have you ever just laid in the backyard, looked up at the sky and seen the clouds and just started making pictures in the clouds? Like, oh, that one looks like a dog. That one looks like your face. That one. Have you ever done that? 
If you've done that, or you ever watched a plane go across the sky and just wonder, like, who's on it, where are they going? You've ever just laid in the backyard for a long time? If you've done that, then you have looked at what the, uh, I should say, the first heavenly realm, what is known as the atmospheric realm. That is the first heavenly realm. According to the Bible, the immediate realm, or the first heavenly realm, our immediate atmosphere, that is the first heavenly realm, and the Bible talks about it. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 26, Jesus says, Look at the birds of the, and here's this phrase, air. Look at the birds of the air. We're going to unpack that in a second. He says, Look at the birds of the air. They do not reap or sow or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are they not much more valuable than, or, sorry, are you not much more valuable than they? That word air, it's a Greek word, and it means the word oranios. Another way of translating that is heaven. Now, if that word oranio sounds familiar, it's because I used it last week, talking about the word heavenly or the Greek word eparanios. Oranios is just kind of a shortened version of it. So you have heavenly eparanios or heaven oranios. That's what the word means. And it's translated as air in Matthew 6. But believe it or not, in James chapter 5, it's translated as heaven. Because this verse is talking about Elijah in 1 Kings. And it says, he, referring to Elijah, prayed again, and the heaven gave rain and the earth produced fruit. That word heaven is the Greek word, ep, or sorry, the Greek word aranios. So in Matthew, it's translated as air, but here in James, it's translated as heaven. That's the first heavenly realm, the atmosphere, where the clouds are, where the birds fly, where the planes are at. That's the first heavenly realm. The second heavenly realm is the celestial realm. You know about this one. We call it outer space. Did you as a kid grow up wanting to be an astronaut at any point? I don't remember, remember many of my class field trips, but third grade Miss Bruner's class, I remember that one because we went to the planetarium down by the U of A. And for the next year or so, I wanted to be an astronaut because I absolutely lost my mind about space. I just thought it was awesome. I even had like a, a fun little space shuttle and I mean it was it was huge it was it was it was awesome I can remember that I remember that phase that is the celestial realm or the second heaven Deuteronomy talks about this Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 19 says when you look up to the sky and see the sun or the moon or the stars and all the heavenly array do not be enticed into bowing down to them or worshiping things the Lord your God has appointed to all the nations under heaven the word translated as heavenly in that verse is shamayim. It's a Hebrew word, shamayim. And it's the exact same words that's used in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, the very first verse of the Bible. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The two heavens that are being spoken about are the ones we just talked about. He created the celestial heaven and he created the atmospheric heaven. Those are the heavens that he is talking about. But yet in Deuteronomy 4, 419, it says that they were created. Don't bow down to them and worship things the Lord your God has appointed to all the nations under heaven. So that verse indicates that, yes, while the heavens were created, the celestial heaven and the atmospheric heaven, that was under heaven. Like there's this third heaven. And this third heaven is what Paul talks about in the second half of Ephesians chapter 1. This third heaven is what Leanne and I spent hours, I won't say, well, yeah, I mean, we were texting back and forth, so we deep dived. It was this third heaven that we spent time unpacking. And that's what I want to unpack for you today 
as we dive into this message. But before we continue any further, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the guidance that you give in these messages. This time belongs to your to you. Whether it's me laying this down, whether it's somebody listening to this, this time belongs to you. These messages belong to you. I thank you for your prompting that when you sit down and you're not sure whether you're going the end of one chapter to the beginning of another, that you will give direction ultimately through what can seemingly be just a text message. But that text message, when given and surrendered to you, can become direction for what you might want to say to someone through this opportunity. And I pray that you speak now. I pray that you speak to someone who needs to hear what it is that you want to say through me. So again, Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for this time. I thank you for this message, and it's in Jesus' name. Amen. The third heaven, not the atmospheric, not the celestial, not the sky, not outer space, but the third heaven. Let's talk about this place today. And Paul references it in his letter. We'll pick it up in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17. He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Quite frankly, if that's a prayer that you, and we'll unpack that here in a little bit, that would be a great verse to highlight as something that you want to pray maybe over someone else or certainly even over yourself. I think we're so quick to pray for others, but we forget or neglect to pray for ourselves. That's a great one. Pray that the Father give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Why? So that you can know him better. Verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion in every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And I'm I'm just going to be diligent. I'm going to finish this text because there's so much I want to talk about. But I'm going to be diligent. Verse 22, And God placed all all things under his, his being Jesus, God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Like I told you, I'm bursting at the seams because I honestly, that's seven verses. And I think you could spend seven weeks preaching each one of those verses individually. There is so much in every single one of these. And regardless of the version that you read it in, I'm reading out of NIV, um, there's an awesome alliteration in the message translation, which again is more of a thought-for-thought Bible translation, not a word-for-word translation. And I love what the the message translation in verse 21, this alliteration talks about, because verse 21 it says, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that's invoked. And that's in essence what what the message says is, Jesus is far above every government and every galaxy. In other words, anything in the first heaven, he's above. Anything in the second heaven, he's above. Not he's just he above it. He's far above it. What's the translation of that? Stop watching the news. Seriously, stop watching. You can check it. Stop watching the news. Jesus is far above every government and every galaxy. What does that mean? I don't care what the government's doing. I don't care about global warming. I don't care about it. I really don't care about it because Jesus is not just above both of those things. He's far above both of those things. 
Mark Driscoll. He's a pastor up in uh, Scottsdale, I believe. He has this phrase. Uh, and I love this phrase. He says, God creates, Satan counterfeits. Anything that God creates, Satan counterfeits. I'm going to show why that phrase applies to don't worry about the government or the galaxies because God will create something, but Satan will always counterfeit it. You look at the planet. How did God say that we are supposed to treat it? God created it. What are we supposed? How are we supposed to treat the earth? You don't have to go very far. You can open up your Bible, Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. God gives very direct instructions about how we as human beings are supposed to treat the earth. You know what he says to do? He makes it very simple. He says that we are to multiply, we are to fill the earth, and we are to subdue it. That's what God created. That's what God says. What are we told every single day in our news feed or in news outlets? What are we told? How are we supposed to treat the earth? How does the media say that we should do it? We're told stop having kids because there's t- the population's getting too big, so stop having children and let Mother Earth rest. God creates, Satan counterfeits. God is saying, be fruitful, multiply, subdue it. Satan's counterfeiting, saying, no, 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 no. Stop multiplying, stop being fruitful, and stop subduing. Let the earth rest. God creates, Satan counterfeits. Everything that God creates, everything that God says, Satan will try to provide a counterfeit. God created you for a purpose. Satan will always try to provide a counterfeit to the purpose that God created you for every time. And it's for that reason right there, because God creates you for something and Satan tries to counterfeit. It's for that reason right there. While I want to preach everything that's in Ephesians 1, the second half, the verses that we just read, I want to preach it all. But we're going to go after that concept. We're going to talk specifically about the fact that God creates and Satan counterfeits. I'm going to resist the urge to preach the whole thing. Instead, I'm going to fixate on that by connecting what Paul said, the beginning of it, verse 17, to why he said it, the end of it, verse 23. We're going to make that connection today. Because in verse 17, Paul prayed that the church would be given, and I mentioned it briefly. I hope you highlighted it and something I encourage you to pray for. Paul said that the church would be given, the, or he prayed that the church would be given the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Sounds awesome. What the heck is it? Well, to find out really what it is, you got to first understand why, or first should say first study why he said it. Why did he say, I pray that the, I pray for, that the church receives a spirit of wisdom and revelation? Well, it's the, end, the answer is at the end of the verse. Verse 17 finishes. He says, I pray that you get this so that you may know him better. Any, another way of saying is this. Any way, anything that God permits us to learn is designed to pull us closer to him or pull him closer to us. Another way of saying it would be revelation is for relationship. Any revelation that you get is designed to bring you into a closer relationship with God. It sounds super theological. It sounds kind of unattainable. But quite frankly, the spirit of wisdom is really just a prayer for better understanding. That's all it is. I'm praying that you understand Scripture better. I'm praying that you understand a concept better. I'm praying that you understand the doctrine of God better. That is all the spirit of wisdom is. It's a prayer for a better understanding of the doctrine of God. The spirit of revelation, that's just a clearer picture, or that's that's a prayer for a, a better, or a clearer picture of God's divine will. 
so that we can reveal it to others. Not super profound. The spirit of revelation is just a clear picture of God's divine will so that we as his followers can reveal it to the people that he brings in our path. So you've got one is prayer, prayer for better understanding of doctrine. The other one is a prayer for better understanding of, of revelation. How do we reveal God's will? And I started looking at those, and I wrote those on a whiteboard that I have in my office, and I just started comparing those two. And the more I thought about the church as a whole, certainly the church in this day and age, church, I think we got the doctrine pretty well covered. I really think we got the doctrine pretty well, especially in this day and age. Information is more accessible now than it has ever been. We are actually more intelligent now than we have ever been. I mean, all you got to do is drive up and down any street anywhere, at least here in Northwest Tucson. All you got to do is drive. You can find a church that if you want traditional, you can find it. If you want contemporary, you can find it. If you want Pentecostal, you can find it. If you want systematic, dogmatic, the, uh, theological, historical. If, I mean, you, you name what you want from a church doctrine standpoint. Guess what? You can find it. The doctrine we got covered, church. We're good on this. The delivery, on the other hand, I'm going to say it the way I think it. Doctrine, we got covered, but delivery, we suck at. Oh, that's just me. No, but it's not me. It's true. Oh, you're just saying, no, no, no. We're not, we're not, we're not bad at it. No, we suck. We suck at it. As believers, when it comes to sharing our faith, we're great at inviting people to church. Don't get me wrong. I can, I can invite you to church. But, no, me do it? Me share my faith? No, I, nah, we're not that good at that. We're not great at it. You see, we've kind of created church as this idea that, let's forget what we created. What did God create? How did, yeah, there we go. How did God create this? What was, what was God's intention for the church? You, you can read it. I want to get back to the Acts church. I want to be the first century church. Well, what did the first century church do? God created the church. Jesus was resurrected. The church was created. God created the church. It was designed to be a body of believers who go and share the gospel, evangelize, if you want the church word. They disciple one another, not with a program. They sit down and they have conversations, right? They minister to people, not in their strength by doing good things, but they minister by utilizing, relying upon God's strength. You want to you you see what ministry, what outreach looks like? Just read Jesus and the Feeding of the 5,000. Outreach should look like that. That's outreach. Anything else is in our strength. Outreach has got to be in God's strength, and it's got to be in the name of Jesus. You look at fellowship, it's just spending time together with other believers for the, pur- for the purpose of enriching and nourishing one another. And then worship. Everything is worship. That's the church. That's what the church is supposed to be doing, those five things. That is the church, a body of believers who all do that, all can do that. But what has Satan turned it into? God creates Satan counterfeits. What is it today? You look at it. Are those elements present? Look, I'm just going to be honest with you, and I'll just be the guy to say it. You can like it. You can dislike it. I don't care. I'm not, it's not a knock. It's a challenge to, to evaluate. That's all it is. And listen, if you're good, awesome. Kudos to you. Pray for others. I'm going to give you my opinion based on what I've seen. If you think I'm wrong, again, you're more than welcome to say it. But this isn't a knock. It's a challenge. If you look at the church today and really what it's turned into, it's, it, it's not a body of believers who go out into the world to share the good news of Christ. Today, it's become a group of people who stay in the building and demand that a pastor put on all of these great programs that they can invite other people to. It was God created it to be a body of believers that share the gospel, 
Satan has counterfeited it and turned it into something where the paid staff do, does all the work and I'll just invite. And it better be good. It better be entertaining because if not, I'm going to take my, my giving and I'm going to go to the next place down the street. And that's where you get transplant growth, not transformative growth. God creates. Satan counterfeits. Here's why I'm spending so much time highlighting this. I thought you were talking about the third heaven. Why are we talking about the church? You'll see why. Let's just be real. The church don't need the world. Church does not need the world. Doesn't. The world, however, the people we rub elbows with every single day in the neighborhoods, on the way to work, in the gas station, at the grocery store, at our jobs, at the places we work out, on our kids' teams, in the library, the paths that we go on, the places that we go, the games that we go see, wherever, whenever, however, as long as you are breathing, the places that we go where other people are, the world, church don't need the world, but the world needs the church. Big time. The world not doesn't need a church, it needs the church. The world needs the church. And Christ called us to be us as believers. He called us. It's not verses, us. I don't care where you go to church. He called us his body. He's the head, but he called us to be his hands and his feet. He called us to be the body. And that's why Paul put it the way he did in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 23. To be the fullness of him. We are to be the fullness of Jesus who fills what? Everything in every way. That's why I say everything in your life has a purpose. Everything that you do has a purpose. You might think that's just a stupid job I'm stuck at. No, it's not. Oh, that's just a dumb neighborhood I got stuck in. No, it's not. It's just a stupid school I go to. No, it's not. This is a dumb prerequisite class I got to take for the thing I actually want to do. No, it's not. This is just a stupid errand I got to go on. No, it's not. This is just a dumb problem that I have because, and I'm not praying this on anybody, but my car broke down. And I got to go deal with the, I got to go deal with the whatever, whatever is broken on my car and I got to go sit in the mechanic or I got to go st sit at, a, at an auto shop for two hours. It's a waste of my time. No, it's not. I go get a haircut. It's a waste. No, it's not. Everything in your life has purpose. And that's why Paul prays that God would enable you to recognize his principles in his word so that you can reveal those principles in the places that he's positioned you. Not just in the convenient times, but in the inconvenient times as well. And he's praying, I pray that you recognize God's principles so that when you find yourself placed in a position, you can reveal it to someone that he wants to reveal his son to. Everything has a purpose. Everything has a purpose. I know we would like church to just be Sunday. I know we would just, I, you know, quite frankly, I would too. It'd be a lot easier. It'd be so awesome. I could just design a, a really cool, fun program and listen, see y'all Sunday, and I'm not going to worry about y'all the rest of the other six days of the week. I'm not going to care about you. Y'all figure it out. I wish that could be church. That'd be so much easier, so much awesome, but that's not it. That is not it. It's of the utmost importance that we see that there is value in everything that we do, every second, every day, every place, everywhere, everyone, everything, every, every I can think of. Robert Madu said it this way. By everything, I mean everything. Everything. Why is everything important? Why are there not categories? Why is everything important? Why is everyone important? Why is it important? Because the first and the second heaven are going to pass away. The atmospheric heaven... The celestial heaven, at some point, it is going away. 
not because of anything we do. Because when God decides that it is done, it is done. And that's when this ball will stop spinning. That's when those two, two places will pass away, when God decides that it's done. And in the meantime, Jesus is inviting anyone and everyone to join him where he is. Where is he? He's seated at the right hand of the throne of God in the third heaven. The third heaven is paradise. That's the best word I got for it, paradise. And the reason it's the best word I got for it is because heaven, the Bible is surprisingly mute on that level. And I do kind of think I know why. I didn't really see this before, but this place is so indescribable that we don't have enough words in our, we don't have the right words in any language to, to, to express how amazing this place is. I mean, you, you can't describe it. I mean, according to Paul, at least, you can't describe it. You can, it's not here in, in, in this letter to the Ephesians, or sorry, this letter to the, to the church in Ephesus, but it is in another letter that he wrote. If you look to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter two, or chapter 12, the first few verses, Paul says, I must go on boasting, although there is nothing to be gained. I, look, I'm not going to gain anything by, by lording this over you. I'm not going to gain anything by, by bragging about what I've gotten a chance to experience. There's nothing to be gained. However, I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ, and he's talking about himself for the record. Paul's talking about himself. He says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. And I love what Paul says here. He says, whether it was in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. I don't. Paul is saying that I wasn't in the atmospheric heaven. I wasn't in the celestial heaven. I was in the spiritual heaven, the third heaven. And I love that Paul doesn't feel the need to justify or explain or verify or validate or prove. He says, look, was my physical body there? Was I out of the body? Bro, I don't know. I have no idea. I, I don't know. God knows how it happened. I don't know how it happened. I just know that it happened. I was here and then I was there. I don't know how it happened. It just happened. I'm not trying to manipulate this thing. I'm not misunderstood. I was there. And, I, and, I, and the reason I got so fixated on that is because oftentimes, if I can't explain something, if I can't understand something, that will trip me up. If I can't sit there and stare at this and explain it and go, well, this is how that happened, then oftentimes I will immediately discredit the experience. And I'll go, yeah, maybe. But Paul doesn't feel the need to justify his experience. He doesn't feel the need to explain it. He goes, look, I don't care whether you believe it or not. I don't care whether you understand it or not. I don't care whether you can explain it or not. I can't even explain it. Here's what I know. I was there. How was I there? I don't know. But I was there. And he continues, verse 3. He says, and I know that this man, and he reemphasizes, look, whether in the body or apart from the body, bro, I don't know. Okay, stop. You're fixating on the wrong thing. You're looking at it through the lens of this. And it's just so much bigger. Open your doggone brain for a, just a, a, a one second. I'm telling you where I was. I don't know. God knows. I don't know how it happened, but I know who made it happen. In verse 4, he says, I was caught up to paradise. Stop trying to fixate on the process. I was in paradise. That's the point of this. I want you to pay attention to this. I was in paradise. And what, what, what happened in paradise? He goes, look, I heard inexpressible things. I heard things that I, I, I can't even tell you. I don't know how to tell you what I heard. My person, I, I, I stared at this. He's like, how's, you, how's your week? I'm like, fine. What have you done? <laughs> Nothing. I've been staring at verse 4. 
I heard inexpressible things. Part of me thinks it's worship. Part of me thinks, and I mean, I have no clue. I am totally guessing, by the way. Part of me thinks it's worship. Singing. I've seen the phrase singing and proskuneo to kiss toward, all the, the way to get these words from. I think that's what's going on. I have no idea. But he says, look, and this is, it's inexpressible how awe-inspiring this is. And he says, things that no one is permitted to tell. In other words, Paul is saying, look, I can't tell you, and even if I could tell you, I'm not allowed to tell you. That's why the Bible is fairly mute on heaven. It's, it's, it's inexpressible, and it's honestly, right now, it's not permissible to be talked about. It's paradise. It's heaven. It's heaven. It's the place people go who believe that Jesus is their Lord, who accept Jesus, who, who, who deny themselves, who take up their cross and follow him. It is the place for people who seek first God's kingdom. It is the place for people who make Jesus Christ the Lord, the owner of their life. What's funny is when you place your life into Jesus's hands, when you give him your purpose, when you give him your, your will, guess what he does? He puts it right back in yours. The weirdest thing is by giving Jesus ownership, he provides freedom. It's this crazy roll of, it's this crazy revolving door. You give Jesus ownership, he provides freedom. You give him ownership, he provides freedom. And our, remember, the kingdom of God is upside down and inside out. We think that if we give Jesus ownership, we're giving up freedom, but it's just the opposite. You give Jesus ownership, he gives you freedom. It's the place where people go who believe in Jesus as their Lord. And that's what Jesus told the thief on the cross toward the end of the gospel, and you can read various gospels, but Luke chapter 23, verse 42, talking to the thief on the cross. It says, then he said, Jesus, so this is the thief at the top. Remember, you got, you got Jesus, and then he's in the middle, and you got two thieves either side, and they're kind of having this back and forth. And one of the thieves is just cussing up a storm at Jesus. You know, you're the son of God, huh? You're the, you're the Messiah. Prove it. Get us off of this thing. Get us down. Get us out of here. Save us from this. And then you have this other thief who claps back at the at the first thief and he's like zip it bro we don't we're getting what we deserve we're up here because of we've messed up but Jesus is up here and he doesn't deserve what he's on the receiving end of and then he f- looks and turns to Jesus the thief that's defending Jesus he turns to him and in verse 42 says then he said Jesus remember me when you come into your kingdom and then Jesus answered this verse 43 Jesus answered him truly i tell you today you will be with me where? Not the first heaven, not the second heaven, in paradise. You will be with me in paradise. I started looking at the two thieves. These two thieves were just that. I mean, they were they were robbers. They were bandits. Robbery. To 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 take something, you know, that's, I, I mean, they weren't thieves, okay? Like, look, you create us, you, you commit theft, you walk into you walk into it's a property crime. Okay? It's a property crime. I took something from you. That's a property crime. But a, a better, more accurate depiction, I believe, would have been the robbers on the cross. Because that's what these guys were. They were robbers. They would take things from people, and they would do so by either the threat of physical force or or actual physical force. These were bad people. I mean, these were not great individuals. And I don't want to talk about their character. I don't even want to talk about necessarily where... Jesus is about to go. I want to talk about that phrase, everything. Everything. 
because Jesus says that we as the church, according to the Ephesians 1.23, remember Paul prays, verse 17, I pray for the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Why? So that our us as his body, the fullness of Jesus, who fills everything in every way. Everything in every way. Y'all, even in execution. This is an ongo- This is an execution. This is the last place that one would think the gospel could be or should be shared. It's certainly, I mean, not even just as a bystander, but these are not bystanders. This, these, these are participants. Jesus and these two thieves are being executed. This is the last place that I would think one would share the good news about Jesus Christ. This is the last place that I think someone would would say, I, prof- I profess my, my, my faith in Jesus. But look, even here, even here, Jesus recognizes the belief of the thief that's hanging next to him. I should have called the dang sermon belief of the thief. Doggone it. Oh, well, we're going to stick with it. But Jesus recognized his belief and as a result revealed paradise to him. Hanging on a cross. You mean to tell me that there's no purpose in anything in your life? Jesus even utilized his execution as a moment to God for God to work through him to reveal Jesus to someone. Don't look at me and tell me that your life is meaningless. Don't tell me that your situation is meaningless. Don't tell me that what you're doing can't be used by God because in real time, I watch God use an execution to reveal Jesus Christ to someone. God can use anything and everything in your life. Listen, church cannot be Sunday at 9 or 11 or 9.30 or 11.30. Church cannot be specifically a location that I go to once every three weeks. Six weeks, come on, be real. That cannot be church. Church is not a place. Church is not a building. Y'all, church is a group of people, called out ones, who are saying, use me, Lord. Use my positioning, my positioning. I surrender my life to you. Reveal to me the things that I need to know and reveal to me the people that you want me to share them with. That's the church. And church, we got to stop playing sides here. We got to start being the church, not going to church. In fact, drop that from your vernacular. I'm going to go to church. Nah, nah, nah. Stop going to church. Start being the church. I don't go to church. I am the church. I'm, I'm going to be the church. Because when we start dropping, language is culture. Where do you go to church? Where do you go to church? Let's be the church. Where do you go versus where do I go creates division. But let's be the church creates unity. And God can work in and through the church to reach the lost. And that's what my prayer is going to be over you as we close. Heavenly Father, I want to pray. I want to echo. And I want to pray Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17, over anyone who listens to this. Father, I'm praying as it says here, I'm praying for the spirit of wisdom. I'm praying that people understand more about the doctrine. I'm praying for pastors all across, not just the city, the world, who are revealing, who are in the position of, of, of revealing what you're revealing to them. I pray that every pastor, every pastor returns to their first love. I pray that every pastor opens up their schedule and says, listen, listen, I am not going to preach what I know. I'm going to I'm going to come to you with a question. Father, what do you want to say through me to the people that are entrusted to what 
I am relaying. I pray for every pastor. I pray for every person who is listening. I pray that you reveal to their mind, to their heart, things that have been unaccessible, unattainable, things that just haven't made sense. I pray that you reveal it to them. I pray that you give them a handle. It might be a message. It might be something they read in a devotional, something that they hear. I pray that you reveal more about the doctrine of you, more about your personality, more about your 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 your, your truths so that we can know the truth who is Jesus. And I pray that it continues to be revealed, not just on Sunday at a place that identifies as a church, but I, pl- I pray that what you are sharing about your doctrine, the spirit of wisdom, I pray for the spirit of revelation, that I pray that the good news of Jesus Christ starts to get shared everywhere, in every gym, in every car ride, in every carpool, in every restaurant, in every school, in every neighborhood, at every PTO meeting, at every every HOA meeting, at every park, at every 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 group chat, every every online gaming platform. I pray that I pray that people start seeing the position that they are in as a place to reveal your son. And I pray that confidence comes not out of out of achieving something, but out of love, because you're revealing the doctrine of love that you first loved us and you so loved us that you didn't withhold anything from us. I pray that we understand that love so that we can turn around and not withhold anything from the people you bring in our position and are in our path. So again, Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for this message. I pray that everyone feels encouraged and more importantly, empowered to see purpose in where you've positioned them. Reveal the spirit of wisdom, give them the spirit of revelation and help them see the purpose where they are. So again, Father, we thank you. We love you. And it's in Jesus name we pray. Amen. Nothing is wasted. Nothing this week is wasted. Every second is, has purpose and meaning. Nothing is wasted. Drop that from your vernacular. There's no waste in your schedule. There's no waste in what you do. Everything that you do has purpose because you were created for a purpose. And don't let Satan counterfeit that by making you believe that there's a waste in your life. And with that, you have a blessed week, and we'll see you next time. Love y'all.